Hello and welcome to the Cynic Weekly. It is Thursday, it's the 23rd of March 2023 and we've got plenty to talk about regarding the wonderful Glasgow Celtic Football Club. Uh, no matches this weekend though, so instead of uh, previewing the upcoming match we'll probably do a little bit of feature chat and have uh, some fun. I'm joined as always by Christopher Samani. How are you Christopher? Uh, I'm alright Christopher, delighted to be here. International week, never good, but still talk about the Celtic tonight. Absolutely, great stuff. Uh, Alan Edgar has sends his regards. He's unavailable to attend today, uh, but we are jo- unavailable. <laughs> Does he to- actually send his regards? He said, "No, nah, he didn't." Right, okay. So I'm lying in a way. Um, Barry Gallows here. Hello, Barry. Hello. It kind of feels like. Um Remember I used to have part-time jobs and you couldn't make it, so it's okay if my pal come and does it for me. That's what I'm doing for Alan tonight. Hold the fuck, where did you work? <laughs> you sent your pal? Barry's doing his papers, well, yeah, he's in, I was going to say Magaluf, but no. Esther T. Esther T, hi. We went to Esther T uh, in like 1987, I think. I would have been in like primary three. Uh, the crime. Um, the uh, the... It, we were on a bus for like 48 hours or something like that, 36 hours or something. It was insane. Um, yeah. Do you ever go to SLT? Never. Never. No, I've I've missed out. I just like saying it. It's, <laughs> people of our vintage know exactly what we're talking about, don't they? Exactly. Uh, great to have you guys involved, as always. Good to have you guys involved. Shut the fuck up a minute. Uh, we've got plenty to talk about. We do have, we're going to do a wee feature on a kind of team comparisons, but we've got plenty of questions. There's been some really um, great questions, as always, from uh, the uh, listeners. So we'll get to some of that. Uh, Barry, how are you? How's things? Very well, thanks. Um, we're just talking before we come on there. It's countdown now to Easter holidays. Um, so looking forward to that. Uh, things are all good with Celtic. Some Manny said, I'm not a big fan of international football, so this kind of feels like maybe a bit of rest and recuperation for us as well as the team before kind of the... You can do stuff. Like, you can actually, <coughs> you can actually do stuff at the weekend. I know. <coughs> that's good initially, but you start to get at your feet, don't you? And you're missing the football going back. But I think this is a good time to break before the final push towards, hopefully, uh, another domestic treble. Absolutely. Chris, um, we're going to talk about the, the Hibs game probably briefly because we've talked about it a lot on the Cynic this last week. Uh, you can sign up to daily podcasts at thecynic.co. Um, that first block of games before the World Cup, really the only blip was the defeat to St Mirren. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in this second block of games... Um, I wouldn't even necessarily call a, a draw at Ibrox a blip. I would say that's a pretty good result in the grand scheme of things. How did you feel that second block of games went overall? Um, swimmingly, Christopher. Um, as you say, the draw at Ibrox, um, which, you know, by our own admission, wasn't a sparkling performance, but um, we went there, we didn't get beat, we kept the gap, and then we've just been going like a kind of juggernaut since then. Now there's been... A couple of games within that, Hibs being one of them, where we've maybe not been at our sparkling best, you know, it's maybe been a wee bit more laboured, but generally speaking, our form's been absolutely sensational, not just the results, but the way that we've played. Um, a lot of players coming in, a lot of players getting game time, we're not relying on like just a, a core group of players, there's, there's a lot of players there that are able to contribute just now, so... You can't not be happy with how things are. Uh, Barry, the, Chris raises a good point about ugh, essentially our form being pretty damn sensational. Um, is that almost, like, I kind of talk about this and I, I don't mean to kind of mean this in a disrespectful way towards the fans, but like our expectation levels have rattled through the roof and 
you know, if you actually sit back and look at the fact that we've only dropped four points since the start of the season domestically, it's pretty wild. Yeah, it's incredible. And I remember when Ange first um, came in and sort of as we got through the sort of sticky patch of um, the early days last season, a lot of the sort of commentators are sort of people who had watched Angie's career in Japan said that it's the second season where he really starts to motor. And I think you maybe made the point earlier in the season, Gal, that maybe didn't feel as good as some of the, the high dramas last season. But I think since the World Cup, you've really seen how um, how embedded his philosophy is, our style of play. Somebody mentioned the fact now that we can drop players in and out and the standard doesn't drop whatsoever. Um, and it's been brilliant. So, yeah, it's just it's so encouraged by... The depth of the squad also, as we mentioned as well, the Hibs game wasn't at our best. There's been some moments where we've faced adversity, like St Mirren, for example. But it's just, as you say, expectations are through the roof and I think it's only going to grow if we have to come through this season with what we all hope, as I said, is, is the domestic treble. You would hope then that we can really focus on making a dent in Europe. Um, and I'm all for it. If you think of the depths of despair we were in during the, the COVID season, it's... Remarkable how how high we've gone since then. Um, I've got a question. We're going to have an opening question. Um, it's from Gregory Clark. Now I've been thinking about this all day. See if I had a friend called Gregory. I don't have any friends called Gregory. Do you think his nickname would be Pope? I've got a friend called Gregory. Do you call him Pope? No. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Gregory Peck, I was thinking. Oh, yeah, you could call him... Specs. Specky. <laughs> Sorry, Gregory. Just a bit of fun. Just a bit of fun. Uh, but he, he's got the opening question. Um, all right, team. Has Moy 22-23 been better than Rogic 21-22? Um, interesting question. Barry? I was thinking about this one earlier because obviously Moy, again, since the World Cup, I think the World Cup is a real shot in the arm for him. Uh, not just in terms of confidence, but in terms of fitness, getting him that sharp for us. He has been so consistent. And I think, probably splitting this, I think consistency-wise, you get more... He's probably the lowest he'll give you since then. has been a seven. And I would argue that Rogic could have games where he didn't influence it at all. But yeah. when he did, he had some incredible moments, as we all know. Um, last year, I think, uh, the wonder strike at Tanadice... Obviously, the goal at Ibrooks. Um, and I don't think Moy quite hit the heights of that sort of standout one off performance, but over a, ter- over a period of maybe 20, 25 games, he's been more consistent than Rogic would be. So, kind of short answer is no, I don't think so, but it's very close. Chris, your thoughts on it? Um, the, the, I mean, Barry talking about Rogic, and that's what Rogic did. He had standout moments. Um, and that's why he's so fondly remembered because those standout moments were hugely, hugely important. Um, I think for a lot of his time here, I mean, I think I've kind of said this for a long time, he didn't, you know, there was times where Rogic just did not contribute. Last season, though, was different for me. I think that's probably his, I was going to say his best season, but it's not. It was his most important season for us because yeah. we needed him so much in terms of where the squad was and how he delivered and stepped up, playing in an unfamiliar role, playing at a pace that he was maybe not comfortable with. And he really he really shone. I mean, I don't even think his biggest fans would have been too confident getting into last season, given the contribution that he had made in the few seasons before. The famous cry on here, when's Tam coming back for the World Cup? Yeah. But he was really important for his last season. So 
if we're looking at it in terms of form, right, I, I, I think it might be fair to say that Moy's been better. He's not been as important. And I think that was a huge thing for Tam last season. I just, you know, he was often accused of, you know, his stamina issues and maybe not doing it enough, you know, normally by me, if we're being perfectly <laughs> honest. But last season he was a big important player consistently for us and a lot of that wasn't just those standout moments that everybody remembers and he'll always be a Celtic legend for there was a lot of hard work and graft last season I, I, for me that was that was my favourite season for Tom Rodgick in a Celtic shirt and I think that's because of what he did other than the standout moments so performance wise you could probably argue that Moy's been better a bit like Barry you're kind of weighing that up but for me, what it came down to is, as much as Moy's been important for us, nowhere near as important as Tam was as for, for us last year. Yeah, I think as well, if you look at it from a pressure point of view, um, and this probably includes David Turnbull as well, see the pressure on them to perform yeah. week in, week out last year. And obviously there's always pressure point for Celtic, and Moyle have felt the pressure coming into the club, but we'll be able to manage the squad more evenly this time, so Moy can drop out to allow O'Reilly to come in. But last season, if we didn't have Rogic... Or Turnbull, we're basically looking at guys at like Ewan Henderson, oh, Jesus. Uh, who's a boy from Sheffield Wednesday, Liam Shaw. Liam Shaw, yeah. <laughs> um, so, that, yeah. I think in terms of pressure and for the level that Rogic did put in, granted, as a man says, some of it wasn't sparkling best, but it, it, the endeavour that he put in to make sure that this Celtic team sort of dragged themselves in front in the title race. Um, won't be forgotten. So it's a really good question, but I think it's a difficult one to answer. Yeah, I, agreed. Um, see, in regards to Aaron Moy, let's say he stays one more season, mm-hmm. and then at the end of that season, uh, he rides off into the sunset with a couple of uh, a, a um, couple of championship medals, lots of cup medals, and hmm. also a Europa, a, League. <laughs> a Europa League medal. Um, I, I, I just think he's kind of one of those guys you could probably kind of frame under like Paul Hartley or like Barry Robson where they came in for a very small amount of time but they really shone pretty brightly for a while and then they left. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, I think so. I think it's... I think back to when we signed them in July, whatever it was, in the summer, a lot of us were kind of... Underwhelmed? Underwhelmed, yeah. Thinking obviously Ange knows them and they could come in and provide backup. I know we'd kind of... We were looking for a deep line midfielder, weren't we? And... Um, Although um, Moy can play that, he's been played one one forward for us. And but yeah, he's been a really useful player for us. Um, we're hoping he's a really strong end to the season. And I would have no problems with him getting another year. Um, but on your point about coming in and doing a job, yeah, and he's gone way beyond the expectations I think the support had for him um, because he's a joy to watch right now. Chris, just on that final point, um, or more important, maybe I don't know. I'll just uh, throw that out there. So I suppose on Moy, I suppose it's amazing the difference a year makes because it was like at the start of last season as well when Ange came in and the support by and large were desperate for him to come because I think we'd seen the level he'd played at with Huddersfield and things like that in the Premier League I think don't think MD, you know MD was under any illusions that he was anything other than a very good player you know there was maybe some went fast forward into this season there was maybe some consideration that there was parallels with James McCarthy, you know, a, a guy who performed in the Premier League for a long time very well, maybe just passed his best now and he's not able to do that. Um, but that's um, that's kind of been blown out of the water. This season, and the good thing about him, you're saying about him riding off into the sunset, obviously I think his wife's from Paisley, hasn't she? Or yeah, she's, Glasgow. Glasgow, Glasgow away, yeah. when, when he's, he, he played for St Mirren. 
for me, I might be wrong, but it seems to be in my head that he's, what is he, 33, so he's not, not got too many years left. It might be that as long as he's useful to us, um, I don't see him, I mean, we'll be paying him an okay, a decent salary and he's made his money in China and things like that. I think as long as he's contributing to us and he's, he's a useful part of the squad, it doesn't seem like the guy to me that's going to be desperate to leave or anything like that. Yeah. He's not, not going to get picked for Australia if he wants to play for, for them. So, um, Done more than enough to earn another year. After that, you need to do it on a season-by-season basis in terms of how his legs are and his ability. But I think he's a very intelligent player. Um, I was a wee bit more up on him than some people um, earlier in the season, and I'm glad that he's 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 kind of shown his quality. Um, so, yeah, definitely next season we'll see what happens from there. But um, a very good footballer. I mean, I, I was, <coughs> hands up, I was one of the people, like, after the St. Mirren game, I was like, he should never play for us again. He's miles <laughs> off it. But that's, uh, I mean, the, the, the St. Mirren game, I, I'm sure I said that as well, and I'm yeah. sure everybody said that at that point. That's what we're like as a support, you know. But even, there was even, there was games as well when we were playing in the Champions League, away from home, actually, you know, where you could see his quality in terms of ball retention and stuff like that. It just looked sluggish. And I think the World Cup's the thing that, Brought him up to speed, wasn't Definitely. it? Yeah, and you can just see that it's like a graph where they just the curve goes right up. And uh, yeah, it's been it's been a joy to watch. I've really enjoyed uh, watching him, and it's a big part to play for the rest of the season, certainly. And more than likely, he'll play a lot of games because that's the thing. Final point on Gregory's question: um, Do you think Rogic would have played a lot of games this season if he'd stayed? In terms of if Moy had come in as well, or just in general? Let's just say Moy hadn't came in. Would he have played as many games? I don't think so. I think, um, although I just said that Moy, although Moy can play deep wide and he has played as a, a sort of number eight, I think the fitness issues has encouraged him to play more. I think the fact that O'Reilly, you could argue that O'Reilly, if he did more of a run in the team, then he might have performed better. But because Moy came in, um, it's kind of pushed him down. So I think the plan was always to sort of try and phase Rogic out, rightly or wrongly. So, no, I don't think he would have played as much. Chris? No, he wouldn't have. I mean, I think he left in the summer. I'm unbeat on. I would guess, I would assume, that the manager probably told him that. Yeah. And, you know, and this would be blasphemy to some Celtic fans, but he went to West Brom. And he's not getting a game very often for West Brom. Now, we've seen there was a lovely bit of Tom Roderick magic earlier in the season with the assist and the through ball he played. You get that from him this, just now, but I think there's a reason he's at West Brom, you know, in terms of where he could go at this stage of his career. He is a phenomenally technically gifted footballer, but he's not the sort of guy I think that could go, could kick on to another level. People will disagree. Maybe Barry's going to now. No, no. no I, was, I was just going to just come in, sorry to interrupt there, but I was just going to say, I think Celtic have gone to another level this season. Yeah, yeah. In terms of, I spoke earlier about that sort of second season and how we've kicked on, but the sort of pace that we play at, and I know you can argue, as you say, that Moy's not the quickest, but I think he can move around the park a wee bit better than yeah. Rogic could. Um and yeah, I just think the likes of Hatati and McGregor and everyth- everyone, everyone in the whole team's levels have gone up some. So I'm not sure. And it, maybe again, sort of last me to say, but I almost feel like we would be would be carrying someone like Rogic now mm. to a certain extent because of the pace that we play at. I don't think that's unfair on him. I, I, I think it's just it's an articulation of where he is. Just knowing in terms of his career, um, 
And I think it was the right time to move on and stuff like that. I do wish he'd got a bit of a better club, you know, yeah. just just to see him because he's not the sort of guy that you would have any ill will towards or anything like that. He's the sort of guy you'd want to see and go do well, although there would always be a section of the support uh, saying, why did we let him go then? But, you know, but I, it's it would have been nice to see him somewhere else playing a bit more football. Yeah. I was just going to say, even... Even if it had been somewhere is where the standard of isn't as high. I know the standard of championship isn't great, but even if he'd gone somewhere like um maybe a lower lower half of a Serie A team or something like that, just somewhere where you could see him enjoy himself. But West Brom just just a sad end to I mean to what he was. <laughs> and you know, I mean but he's just he's he turned thirty in December. And I don't know why we're talking about Tom Rogers, but we love him. But just final the final point, like he turned thirty in December. Um He's played 15 times this season. They've already had two managers this season. So, you know, it tells its own story. But anyway, we'll have Tom Rogic and I'm sure we'll be talking about him for years to come because some incredible moments. Uh, just when I kind of look back at the weekend, we had a reaction uh, that we did live, myself and Barry. Uh, we did a live from the Admiral Woods uh, after the game, which was a lot of fun. It's a nice pub. You should check it out. Um, and uh, we also talked about the game on the agenda. We had a full tactical breakdown of it um, on the review on Tuesday. But we want to get your thoughts, Chris. Um, you've not mm. had your, your say yet. Celtic 3, Hibs 1. Um, thoughts on the game? Um, it wasn't the most enjoyable spectacle, shall we say. Um, I'll not even touch in VAR, because I'm sure you touched on that on the day and probably another podcast during the week. Ridiculous. Um, I think the main thing I took away from the game was that we've been we've been pretty blessed in midfield, you know, in terms of, of uh, the, the cover that we had in there, in terms of, you know, you can bring Iwata in to put the place player, you can bring Moy in. I think we had a couple of injuries and then Hitati going off that we've seen that the players at the back of that maybe aren't at the same level. Turnbull for me. Now, if you'd asked me this on the reaction or right after the game, I would have said, I don't care if he ever plays for Celtic again. <laughs> you bit calmer now. I've, yep. made a, I've maybe regressed on that. But it's important for guys like Turnbull in these games, I think. And Alan talks about this and other people talk about this. O'Reilly too, but far more leeway to O'Reilly just in terms of what he's done in a Celtic shirt and what you, even this season what you know he's capable of and the fact he's you know he's a wee bit younger you know but when Turnbull comes into these games he's not making anywhere near the most of the opportunities for me he looks like a guy who either doesn't want to be there or who knows he won't be there at the end of the season that's exactly what he looked like for me and we were sluggish at times I think you know people will talk about Hibs role in that performance but their entire tactic was basically to go out wide left and, 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 and kind of um, put the ball on to Taylor and then Burnaby in the second half I don't think that they were particularly good but I think why it was a wee bit more laboured for us was that drop off in midfield was quite apparent from early on and I think that was the key thing that I took away from it you can't really say anything because that was three players that we had out you know that would have been so it's, it's not a factor really it's just a, a, a kind of I mean, you can't circumstance, but you can't really have a midfield. Uh, you can't have a squad with five first team ready midfielders. Do you know what I mean? No, I know, and that's why you, you, there's no really any criticism. It was just kind of something that, that's happened. But when we brought Turnbull in, he was playing at a level where you would think he would be able to slot into that game and contribute. It's just not there just now, you know. But overall, you know, it was it was another win. Great to see O get his goal. What a fantastic header and. 
just he just went just came in that booting. You should have just told the referee just book me in a minute because <laughs> okay. the celebration was outstanding. And uh, Xabanovic, Christopher, like we'll talk about him. We'll talk. Why? 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 That, Jim, you know, I, I think he's the greatest. I don't know if I've mentioned that before, <laughs> but it, what a strike! I mean, for me, he's just he's a wonderful player. I mean, people will talk about you know when he started at Tynecastle, he maybe didn't hit the heights, but. To come on and do that at that time to just kind of seal the win is exactly what you needed, and it was just a wonderful strike. So, the game itself, you know, it's not one you'll watch back in future years, but a solid win. See, Haxabanovich, I'll come at you, Barry, with this one. Um, see, Haxabanovich, you, you said there, Chris, a, a point where maybe people will look at the, the Tyne Castle game and they'll say, you know, he didn't necessarily kind of do what we expect of him. Is what we expect of him to be pure heavy minted for 90 minutes and just to be... Is there expectations of what he can do over 90 minutes maybe kind of heightened by the fact he's coming on for 10 minutes and he's electrifying? Yeah, I think so. And I think it's only natural because <clears throat> it's often said that's the most difficult thing to do is when you come on with limited time and yeah. it isn't as if he's getting a whole second half or sometimes it's less than half an hour as it was at the weekend and... To have that ability to really shine so brightly in a short period of time is exceptional. And it's maybe just a case of, I know that he came in, kind of came in late in the window, didn't he? Um, yeah, yeah. So he's missed, missed pre-season, and I know that's kind of trotted out quite a lot, but... Um, and the, the team were really firing at that point, so it is just kind of finding the best position for him, and I know that's sort of what we're coming on to, but it is difficult because you could argue that out with the midfield three, the strongest sort of areas in our team are, and maybe our most decorated players, certainly this season, are out wide. Um, Jota, Abada to a certain extent, made us since the World Cup as well. So it's not easy to come in. I tend to think his performance at Tynecastle, he was quietly effective without having that yeah. superstar. And that comes back to your point where our expectations too high. But it's difficult when he's not getting that run. Yeah. I'd like to see him get a run of four or five games from the start and then we can really see what his sort of future holds and I think I think you maybe said a few weeks ago so I think we'll maybe see the best of him next season So Manny is the fact that he came on and he played in the 10 role with that kind of in the centre with mm -hmm. a little bit more space and as I said this on the reaction that Cal McGregor um, picked the ball up and so the first thing he did was pass the ball to him and then throughout the, the time he was on I saw McGregor point to Haxavanovic and shout at whoever was on the ball, give the ball to him. So the players clearly know that he's kind of really creative and he's going to do something. Do you think that number 10 role, whether he has the opportunity to play there or not, do you think that might be the best place that he could play? Because I'm sure he is quite adaptable and he can play wide, but maybe the 10 role is suited for him. I think I've said it before and um, I think it still stands. There's a wee bit about, a wee bit of similarity to El Yunusi. Not so much in the way that they play, but more in you're not never quite a hundred percent sure where he's best to play in the Position. park. He's got ability across the front three, I would say, or in the ten. That might be where his best role is. And I think it was St Johnson earlier in the season where they kind of gave him a, a role where he could kind of just drift a bit. And, yeah. And anyway, he was excellent that day. Um, obviously, there's a big, there's a big competition on that left hand side of the front three. But we don't really play with a natural 10. So unless we adapt, obviously, against Hibs, we changed it up a wee bit. I mean, at one point we had two forwards on and, and you know, it was... 
the shape changed a wee bit. Um, so unless you're in situations like that, I don't really see him getting much of an opportunity there. Um, I mean, I just talked about his potential changing of formations and how everything's kind of fluid. Um, so I, I agree with you. I don't think he's probably going to get a lot of opportunities there. There. Unless there is a system change. That, this brings us into, as I say, if you want a full kind of breakdown of the, the Celtic uh, victory over Hibs, we had a reaction, which was available straight after on Saturday. Um, and then we also had uh, discussed on the agenda and we also had a tactical, full tactical breakdown on the review on Tuesday. So if you sign up at the cynic.co, we do that for all the games. And this is international break, but we've got two huge features dropping on Saturday and Sunday. So check it out. Question from Martin. What's the panel's thoughts on Haxabanovich for the run-in? Given Hitati's injury, could he be given a chance in the middle of an 8 or maybe even as a 10? Or is he more likely to continue as an impact sub with a view to starting all next season? Let's say we had a game on Saturday coming, Chris. And obviously, let's say Awata, Hitati and um, uh, Moy are unavailable. Do you think Haxabanovic would start? A midfield? Just would, would, do you think he would start? I think he could potentially start. I don't... It goes back to the point about... We're, you know, we're, we're playing a midfield three. If you're going to go by the, the balance, it's a six and two eights that we we seem to want to play or whatever. And I'm not, I don't think any of the players we've got in those roles are strictly that. But Haksabanovic does not strike me as a guy who has the engine or the the playing style to play as a traditional central central midfielder. It would have to be playing behind the front. Um, players in, in a 10 so I couldn't see him playing there I, I, I just it, it doesn't strike me as the sort of guy that would uh, would have what it takes to play there but absolutely I think he, he you know I would I would see right now I would I would start him on the left I think he's in possession of the jersey Christopher Barry. should be it's funny the irony's not lost on me that we've got potentially these three centre midfields out and we all said we want to give Rogic another <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's difficult. I, I think you have to be, you would have to look at it in terms of the opposition. So obviously the next game coming up is Ross County away. Um, I think of that maybe being a home game and we had these injuries, you might be more inclined to do it at home. It just seems safer, doesn't it, playing at Celtic Park? Yeah. But we, as we mentioned, we put a lot of demands on Rogic and Turnbull to sort of because that was by necessity to play the number eight roles um, last season, but. I tend to agree with Samani. It could maybe work for a one or two games, but I don't think it's his long-term future. So unless there is a formation change, I think that he is going to play wide, but we'll maybe have a wee tweak there that he has more licence to roam than a wide man traditionally would have. Do you think he'll take get more opportunities in the second half of the season or for, for what's left of the season? I think he has to. I think he's... He, he can't keep having those impacts without it being recognised. Like He's too good a player for it to be ignored, I think. And as we always say, wingers forms sort of sketchy. Um, as we said, Jota, Jota, I thought, stunk the place out in the first half on Saturday and then he came out um, really live in the second half like he did at St Murna a couple of weeks ago. But I think he, he has to be... He, he's too good a player for us to not use him. Um more frequently, I would say. Uh, I just want to get another question, Haxbanovich related. This is from a good friend, Paul. Um, hello, panel. Europe next year. Mm. A flexible double pivot of McGregor and Awata with Hatati, Haxbanovich, Hatati or Haxbanovich in the ten space. 
would it help bridge the gap in our midfield we've seen in Europe this year? Um, and that obviously reads to Martin's point about, uh, you know, how to pan out your starting role next season. Jenkins will change formation for Europe next year? Or Jenkins will do exactly what he did before? The manager's hinted at the possibility of, of changing formation, I believe. Um, and I think that's probably with one eye on Europe because, I mean, the Champions League earlier on started in a blaze of glory with 45 minutes against Real Madrid. If we're honest, after that, really wasn't particularly good. You know, there was flashes, there was spells, there was, um, you could see what we're doing. I don't think that we were truly humbled, apart from maybe in Madrid. And even then we got the consolation goal from Jota, you know. But when you came away from their Champions League campaign, you didn't think, let's just do the same again. You thought, okay, we're maybe going to need to get back to the drawing board. So in Europe, I think he... He being the manager might consider a, a, a formation change. What that might be or how that might work, I wouldn't want to speculate. Um, but I, I would. He's mentioned it, so it might be in his mind because I think we probably need to do try something a wee bit different um, if we qualify for the Champions League. I was going to, just going to say, I think about that. So, see, we are going to play two defensive mids or more defence-minded midfield midfielders. I think it's all about control in there, and I would be happy to do that if. Um, Hatati was the, the one in front um, but I think as much as we love Haxabanovic and the fact that I don't think he would have the control that if he was playing it, if Hatati was because Hatati can, Hatati's got the engine like Samani said that Haxabanovic maybe doesn't and that may be unfair on him but I think if if you were to do that I think you would just sort of invite problems onto yourself because it's essentially playing an attacker in there rather than But do we not always say about <coughs> like I, I get your point, Barry, I really do. But sometimes we always think we should be driving aggressively more at them. Like, I, I think getting that balance for Celtic in Europe about being, you know, intelligent and smart and realising when you need to defend and, you know, be defensive and just being confident in your attacking abilities. I know it's difficult. It's, pro- it's probably the di- most difficult thing to come from a, you know, game against, I don't know, um, St Mirren at home to then play... Real Madrid away or, right. or whatever whatever it's like in regards to fixtures but like aye because if we get scudded I'd be the first to be like what are we fucking doing yeah, <laughs> do you know what I mean we're, aye, we're playing a four player in a midfield three aye. what are you doing um, yeah. but yeah it's a good question Paul um, I think you know I, I like the idea of you know maybe two one and if it is that if it is that Hatati you know because Hatati in, in control of the ball and in space does create um Haxabanovic versus um, Shakhtar. Uh, you know, I was I was at the game in Poland, and you know, f- he was phenomenal in the first twenty five minutes. Really, really good down that left hand side. Sets up the goal. Really, really good. Drops off a little bit, but then so did everyone. Mm-hmm. That's the one game I thought. Oh, we've got it. We take the lead early on, and I genuinely thought, oh, here we go. We actually win two or three here. With chances didn't work out. But anyway, um, we'll look ahead to that during the summer and stuff. Um, great question, Paul, as always. Um, got a little bit of news. Carl Starfelt um, has come out and he said that uh, he's enjoying being at Celtic. Here's some quotes. Uh, on Life at Celtic, he said, It's fantastic, of course. It's sometimes it's something special to win great titles and it's something you really strive for as a player. To be able to be at a club where it is expected of you and where it means so much. So many people is so incredible and a great feeling. We dominate matches and get a lot of the ball. Defending high and having a lot of play as well. I've, I have had to develop my many, many areas. It's a big club. We expect to win and so 
you really have to push yourself. Um, they asked him about the Premier League. Um, he's like, I like it very much where I am right now. My agent will take care of the rest, and then if something comes up, we'll deal with it then. But it's, I mean, you know, it is good a player coming out saying, I love it, I'm having a great time, and when asked about the Premier League, kind of swats it off. Um, Starfield, pain in the arse on Saturday with that penalty. Aye. Um, well, aye. Technically, I suppose, but... Ugh. Nobody claimed for it. Nobody would have seen it. It's one of those ones where VAR... I, can, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't going to mention VAR, but no, I mentioned fine. it now. But, uh, I mean, in retrospect, you'll go, well, why did you do that? Oh, that happens all the time. It was it was an utter nothing, you know. Starfield's made bigger arse-ups in his time here, shall we say. And I'm a fan, but that's not one that I was going to give him a big hard time for. No, I'm, I'm the same. Barry, Starfield... Um if you had to choose between him and Carter Vickers, not necessarily actually you having to choose who you think is a better player, but your gut feeling, who do you think is going to be here longer? Um, I think Starfelt might be here longer because I think Carter Vickers' ceiling is higher. Um, the fact that he is English and he's played down there before will stand, um, stand in his favour because I think that's just the nature of it. Um, English players tend to go for big fees. But in terms of Starfelt coming out and saying that, it's been a while since we've had a player sort of declare... Whether it's whether it's true or not, but think of all the players who have left us for England recently. I can't remember for many a year a player coming out and saying, "No, I'm happy here." So I think that's testament to the way that we're playing just now, the feeling around the club, the the sort of relationships the players have, and obviously the relationships they have with the manager. So it's encouraging to see. It's one of those where you know, like we we always hit out with these kind of um, uh, arguments within our head of why would you want to leave Celtic um, and go to a Diddy club and you know the argument's always something along the lines of because you could quadruple your, your wages and, and you know and stuff like that but you know maybe maybe Starfield's looked at it and thought actually I'm a huge club I'm playing well um, you know or something's happening here why should I leave do you know what I mean Chris like sometimes they actually Ass was another one who was like I when I retire you know money's not everything I want to look at my trophy cabinet maybe Starfield's of a similar vein Potentially, I mean, it's it's one of those things. I, I think as a club, there are a lot of players who enjoy the adulation. They enjoy what the support brings to it. I mean, as much as we take it for granted, more so, you watch your away support when we win away from home, in particular how intense it is and the love that they give to the players. Oh, all clubs are like that. You know, it's easy to forget that because it's our club and we're used to it. So I think that is... That's a big thing, you know. So I think that, that attraction for players is always there. The one thing that we can't control is, one, the money, and two, playing some of these teams four times a season. And that's, as much as, you know, we are Celtic fans and we would love that and, you know, we wouldn't care or whatever. I imagine if you're a player who's upwardly mobile, then that would, that's going to be a factor in whether or not you're going to stay there. See if it was, if you could deal with the money in that and the... The, the the standard of the league it would be a no-brainer I don't know many players that would want to leave Celtic I was just going to argue as well it was interesting his quotes there about how he's developed as a player, I think the challenge there is it's probably the same in everyone's career, see if there's still enough challenge for you to improve yeah. and you're enjoying it, I think when it gets to maybe that stage three or four season bit, yeah. the, the name that's sort of jumping out to me in my head is Van Dyke. so you could argue when he came in sort of rough around the edges playing the Champions League developed him um, and he was a better player when he left us than when he came in 
But as you say, it got to the stage where he was phoning it in because he could. And I think if it gets to that stage with any of these players, then they'll know it themselves when it's time to move on, I think. And I think Celtic are in a much better place now that we aren't scrambling around when these players do go. Uh, I was doing some research for a podcast we're doing, and um, <clears throat> yesterday I watched every single Henrik Larsson goal. Oh, lovely. Every, there's, a, there's a compilation on YouTube, I think it's about 25 minutes, and it's just every single goal. I cannot... Uh, you know, recommend it enough. It's glorious. The other, the other player I was looking at was um, Virgil Van Dijk, um, and you know, sometimes you look at a player and at, at the time, and you think, oh, he's really good. Um, you know, but you know, as you say, develop, and then you take a step back and you look at them, and just how much more physically dominating he was compared to everyone else in the league. And like, you know, the goal against St. Johnson when he basically skins the entire team and he was hitting free kicks from about yeah. 25 yards out. But just incredible I, stuff. I, see, just on that as well, I think you even see the distance, uh, the difference in him. Like, see, even... Like, you would never say he looked heavy or anything like that when he was here, but he's... He bulked up uh, a little bit, yeah. Bulked up and also slimmed down as well. So it just shows you that it, it comes to an actual point where you'd be doing him a disservice for him not to move on if they, if they do have that high ceiling. And there's a ceiling in Scotland whereby, and remember at that time, it was only really, it was only us in the league. I mean, I think Van Dyke played against them in the, the time, one time. Uh, time. Loy bounced off him like a fucking because that was the, just sorry, just before you go on. That was one of the questions they asked Van Dyke when they played Rangers in the Champions League. How does it feel to be back here? And he's like, oh, I never played here. That's yeah. right. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, it's easy to forget that, so, but then so. There's a there's a ceiling. There's a certain level of you know team that we would see Van Dyke against, and you could obviously see that he was a phenomenal football player and stuff. But people questioned him a bit because of one he was phoning it in. But then you had other people saying, "I think Denier was better." <laughs> and I mean, Denier went on and played at a decent level. You Still, know, yeah, he's a good player. He's, but... a, he's a he's a good player. But I think you could only think Denier was a better player than Van Dyke because we were in situations where they were playing against you know, Scottish football level teams. So you're then analysing them on their performances versus each other when they're playing against these teams because it wasn't a huge challenge for them. It's when you've got that situation, it's hard to understand who's the better player because they do need to move up that level before you can judge both of them on their merits in different leagues. And obviously Van Dyke was far superior. Van Dyke clearly was far superior, but you, you make a good point. Like, uh, Denier's had a really good career, played in Lyon, played in, you know, uh, in the Champions League and played in the latter stages of European competition. And he's still, you know, he's still got years to play. But is he in Turkey now? Is he in Galatasaray? I think he's Turkey now, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, um, just the point you made there, Barry, I think is a really good one in regards to it comes a point where the player can't stay here. And I'm not necessarily even talking about Celtic, I'm talking about Scottish football. Um, and Van Dyke got to that point. Chris Armani, I'm going to I'm going to ask you a question now, friend. Good. <laughs> is that in England? <laughs> <laughs> There's an English podcast. No, um, <laughs> Is a bad at that point? Um, because the, the, what I, do you know? What I think is kind of funny. Um, I got a message from um, what do you call him? Uh, a friend, uh, a friend. Um, uh, Ian uh, Ian Higgins Gray messaged and said, uh, "Do you feel that Abada is a frustrating young man?" Right, and it was obviously related to the the tweet uh, that I put last season, and. It's it's quite funny that, you know, with any sort of link away, a lot of people have turned on him when nothing's really happened. There's a lot of, like, abuse of Abada on social media from people who 
otherwise would have loved him for some reason, and it's the idea that he's been linked away. What's your thoughts? Well, Abada's never been my favourite player. Obviously, he's a guy who's made me look stupid every time I've written him off. He's he's come up with something. Um, so I stopped doing that last week. Uh, not to say I make no start it again. Um, no, but I mean, he's a guy who is incredibly frustrating to the point whereby they've talked about Southampton offering £10 million for him. And I'm thinking, I'd take that. That's a good deal. I don't have any ill will towards the guy, though. I mean, I think that happens a lot. If he's perceived to say, I want to go, I want to leave the club, some people who backed him will then point out his obvious limitations or deficiencies that he's got in his game just now and say, I shite anyway, he wasn't consistent (laughs) and all that sort of stuff. The way I look at it is I think there's ever... A bad as a player who is either going to continue to be the way that he is or he's going to iron them out and go on and be a phenomenal football player who scores a lot of goals and sets up a lot of chances in his career. I would say that it veers towards more being frustrating, but that's what Southampton are buying, their potential there. You know, £10 million is numbers, as uh, the guys call them and all that. His numbers are superb for a guy his age. So you can see why... He's linked with Southampton and why they're looking to pay that. For me, you need to weigh up. Is he going to be able to iron that out and continue to develop with us? Or should we take that because he might not be the consistent, effective player that he wants? Factor in that it sounds as if he wants to leave and you're definitely going to lean towards that. But all things being equal, I would think £10 million is the right fee for what he's done and his age. As much, you know, I think we talk down our players and transfer fees. I think that's the right fee for a player of his age and his. Potential, I would take it, but see if he decides to go. I, I'm, I'm not going to turn on him. No, I mean, I can't turn on him because I, I was never in front of him. So. <laughs> You're never in front of him. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I just saw a thing. Just um, this is kind of the toxicity of uh, social media. I think it was someone had taken pictures of him as he was leaving. Celtic Park on Saturday and it was like first player to leave and he looks miserable and he didn't mention he didn't uh, applaud or talk to him I'm like he's just le- he's just leaving his work he's just leaving his work on a, on a Saturday night Barry what's your thoughts on Abada? Yeah I'm somewhere in the middle um, I will always appreciate the the goals down my end at Celtic Park against them um, but he's one of those players he's definitely improved since he's come to us but I think ten million, as a man says, is, is a good fee. It's, it goes back to what Ange was saying, sort of last year, wasn't it? The AG, AGM about in order for us to improve, we need to get strike when the iron's hot and yeah. move these players out. And I think he's a prime example of that. Bought him for what three, four million, which was quite a big outlay for yeah. where he was. So we probably looked at his numbers goals wise um, for his previous club, and then obviously we've developed a wee bit there. But no ill will towards him. Um, I noticed, um, obviously. Mikey Johnson last night had a, a startling cameo for Ireland and a lot of the comments today were saying replacing Abada next season we man a, a lot of the people from a lot of the people who would have given him abuse when he was here as well yeah. it's just it's a kind of constant circle which by the way I completely understand because that's football fans I'm not you know there's a lot there's, it is what it is I just think as well see the fact that it's £10 million for a guy who's not guaranteed starter for us the last time I can remember a deal sort of like that was remember when Ki Sung Young left? I think about six million. Yes, yeah. and he wasn't a starter. So you kind of think that's not going to directly impact the first eleven, but it gives you a good chance of yeah. bringing someone in whose levels above him. Armstrong similar. Yeah, that's it. So, do you think if Abada's do you think Abada's regressed a little bit this season? 
Is that unfair? I think so. I just think it's because, as I mentioned earlier, Celtic have got far better. Mm. So we're a better sort of a cog, a sort of well-oiled machine um, where I think we've just, not that we've left him behind, but we've gone up levels that he maybe can't um, contribute to as well as he did last season. And having said that, he's still got, what, double-figured goals, hasn't he? Yeah. And we we relied on him more last season because we didn't have the personnel that we've got. If, if anything, you know, it might be argued that he's got a bit better, you know, in terms of, 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 of what we've, we've done, but we've maybe... He's not been as much of a feature just because the, the squad's far stronger and things like that. Um, and you can't deny his goals. You can't deny his goal return. Um, but he's still a footballer. And I think most folk would agree with us. He's still a footballer who has not quite reached that level. You know, he came on against St Mirren, did what he did. And people are quite rightly going, uh, you know, he's touching, he's finished, phenomenal. His performance was excellent. Rewind to last Saturday and that towed the ground and fell over and had the cheek to grab the ball as if he was going to take the penalty and you're just you know that's what you get with him. Um, so aye, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Again, he's he's definitely here at least until the end of the summer. He's got a three year contract, but you can almost see the sort of kind of cogs working and probably in the background where he's maybe not happy he's playing. Uh, sorry, he may not, he's maybe not happy that he's not starting every week. Um, yeah, and so we'll see what happens. And again, it's in the club's hands, which is a real positive because, you know, yeah. we're in the driving seat. Um, question from Paul. Uh, Paul asks, question for tonight's episode, with Matt O'Reilly not at his best at the moment, how much of this can be attributed to personnel changes on the right-hand side of the pitch? Do Johnson and Jota move and link up with him as effectively as Juranovic and Abada did last season and the early part of this season? Interesting one. What's your thoughts? Because there's been a massive change with Juranovic and Johnson kind of replacing him. Um, and Jota's went from the right to the left, back to the right. There's been a lot of mix up there. Do you think Matt O'Reilly's struggling because of that sort of lack of consistency? I wouldn't have put it down to that myself in terms of, you know, the personnel changing because I think that's a fairly typical feature of of this Celtic team. You know, I think that's by by its nature, you know, in the squad that we've got just now, it's never going to be that consistent starting eleven. There's been some rumours of Matt O'Reilly maybe struggling with personal issues or whatever. I, I don't know if that's the case or not, but it would certainly go a long way to explaining that maybe he's he's not quite where he was at, at one point. What's not in doubt with O'Reilly? And, you know, I'm not at that stage. I'm nowhere near that stage where I'm thinking, you're not a footballer that I want at this club anymore. You're not going to, you're not going to go to a certain level. You know, your time up here's, it's, it's, it's done basically. He's a guy who I think's going through a sticky spell just now. That might be explained by stuff that's going on in the background. But you've seen enough of him in a Celtic strip to know that he has got the potential to be a superb football player. And he's done it consistently. It's not like he's like a badder maybe who's come in, shone and then dipped. He's had spells in this team last season and even at the start of this season where he had a consistent run of games where he was very good. So for me, I think that right now where he is isn't where he wants to be and he's rightly not starting for Celtic. But I've got every faith that he'll continue to go forward. And I don't think that's anything they do with the personnel changes is, is the question I alluded to. I just think it's... Do you think if there were still consistent changes, he might still be having a little bit of problem? I would guess so. I mean, I mean, we're, we don't know, really, I suppose. That, yeah. You know, but it's a podcast, Chris. I'm not just going, don't know, mate. 
so know, I've, just, I've just went on a long convoluted answer to kind of avoid that but ultimately we don't know but I would guess you know if the rumours are true then there's maybe some personal things going on hopefully not too bad obviously that that, that could contribute to a dip for a guy at his age, he, he did allude to that in one of the press conferences a couple of weeks ago that he was having kind of struggles off the pitch. Not, he didn't obviously go into detail, but Barry, what's your kind of thoughts on on uh, the question from Paul and just generally? It's it's hard to say because for that sort of what the four four months or four and a half months to, at the end of the season, you think back to the three 0 game where Juranovic, O'Reilly, and Nabada were lightning like they terrorised Barisic on their left hand side. Um, so they're probably. To an extent, there is something in that, but I think he is just having a, a sort of dip in form. The form of Moy obviously has helped us as a team sort of deal with that loss of form, but I don't think, I agree with Samani, I don't think it's something that is going to be long term. I think he will just have to play himself back into form and into the team, but I think what he's maybe trying to do is trying too hard. He's putting too much pressure mm. on himself. Now, I can't remember who it was that said on a podcast that see when Hitati tries something that doesn't come off, he's happy to do it again. Mm. Whereas I think O'Reilly, if he tries something ambitious, it doesn't happen. His head maybe goes down because he's probably looking over his shoulder thinking, oh, I haven't done enough and Moy's going to come back in. But he's too good a footballer for that to be sort of long term. I think Mm. that he'll play himself back into form. He's still going to have a big part to play. towards the end of this season maybe it is just sort of building up that relationship with Johnson and Jota now um, because he is an excellent footballer yeah I, you know I, I agree I, I personally find it a little frustrating his performances at points this season I think he's been really I thought in the Champions League when I was playing in, as the six he actually had some really good performances mm-hmm. um, I also again we can all be very conscious of you know his the fact that he's coming up about we do forget he was playing in like League One in England. Yeah, and yeah. you know he's he's been pulled up, and within six months he's playing in the Champions League. So there's mm-hmm. all all these kind of factors to take in. But he's clearly a talented player. He's got all the raw material to really be a top top player. So yeah, it's a good question, Paul. Um, um, and uh, yeah, great great question. Uh, we get another question from Simon. Uh, Simon asks question for you all about the summer transfer window. He's got a, he's got a wee. Uh, Scenario. Oh, nice. Would you rather A, a goalkeeper who is very comfortable playing out from the back in the 5 to 10 million range, but all other signings are under 1 million pounds or replacements from the youth team? Or B, three or four first team signings in the 3 to 4 million pound range? First, can he save the ball, that keeper? <laughs> no. <laughs> No, but like, got no hands. <laughs> a goalkeeper that, um, yeah, a goalkeeper that kind of ticks all of our boxes, but that's it. Or three or four signings in the three or four million range that can supplement the squad. This is like a transfer committee podcast. Um, what would you say to that, Chris? Because if you look at the squad, actually, there aren't that many positions that you look at and you think that we need to definitely upgrade. Goalkeeper's probably one of them. What's your thoughts? B, Chris. Oh, you'd go with Joe Hart for another couple of years? No. Oh, you get a goalkeeper. It's one of those goalkeepers are three or four months. Yeah. Correct. Do you want me to expand on that, Chris? <laughs> yeah, that'd be, idea, yeah. that'd be lovely. Yeah, um, yeah I, I would choose that because it, I suppose the three to four million pound range, I think normally in, in, in recent years we would probably say that you're no guaranteed success when you're shopping in that market, you know, whatever. The thing about 
the market that Andrew's shopping in and the faith I've got in him to shop in that market is that I think you could probably get some real value for that uh, in terms of where he's, he's looked. Um, so, and I think one of the, the key things about the club under the, the manager is you're constantly trying to get better. I think he's striving to do that. But he's also constantly trying to bring in so that you have that buffer when players move on. Something that we've never done in the past yeah. and it's got us into problems. So I think if you're going to try and bolster the squad three to four players for three to four million pounds, I would have faith in the manager to to do that, to continue to develop us as a squad and to kind of potentially offset any players that might go back out the way. I do think we're getting to the stage where we probably do need a goalkeeper um, who's better than Hart. Um, I, I'm, as I, I've, I've been fairly consistent in that, I would love a goalkeeper who can play out for the back, but first and foremost, he needs to be able to stop the ball going in the net. And some people might think that's a, a you know... Barkas has done some numbering, has he? Aye. <laughs> well, <laughs> so did, so is, uh, what do you call him? Um, Doris. The Doris DeVries as well. It, well, exactly. And, and, and both of them, both of them were bound, right? Especially under Rogers, Rogers. Doris DeVries, player of the year at Forest, really good with his feet. Very bad at stopping the ball from going into the net. Chocolate hands. Barkas, someone who, even when he played for us, I didn't think he was that good with the ball at his feet. He was has he? And I, I, I quite literally can't remember him making a save of note for us. No, he made one save. It was at Ross, Ross County. Uh, Ross County. So there you go. <laughs> I remember that one. So uh, that was a lie. So I remember him making that save. And then... I mean, I know it was a pre-season friendly, but <laughs> fucking hell, man. The West Ham one? <laughs> and so... Standard and the corner flag. <laughs> the qualifier as well. I mean... The, oh, yeah. Oh. What qualifier? The... Michelandi pre-kick went right through oh, him. Oh, fucking hell, yeah. Hologram hands. Oh, that's right. So he has done a number on his yes, Christopher. Um, but I, I think... I, it is that balance, isn't it? Because I think a goalkeeper being able to play out from the back would do wonders for us in terms of getting the ball forward quickly in the way that we play the same with a centre half but in as much as some people might scoff at this it really does has to be balanced with their defensive duties because that's that's fundamental and that's why you're in a position where you've got Starfelt and Carter Vickers defensively are a very solid partnership but you would want to maybe have a, a better ball player in there but breaking that up is difficult because going out and getting somebody who can defend like they can defend and play football is going to cost a lot unless you find them somewhere. Hart as well. Hart's probably different. You could probably upgrade in Hart anyway. <laughs> no. So yeah. we are probably at that position just now, but again, it goes back to the point. A goalkeeper as well as a football player, please. So B, Chris, after all that nonsense, three four million pounds for each signing. One of them a goalkeeper who's handy with all the uh, all feet. That. Handy with the old feet, feet. Um, <laughs> Barry. Yeah, I'd agree because as the man says you want to, this constant sort of evolution under Ange. You want to improve the overall quality of the squad, um, and I think the point about having the replacements in before they go, um, Haxabanovich sort of strikes me as he's going to be in there in case well a bad might go as we've said, or if Jota was to go, heaven forbid that we've got someone there. And I think as well. Going back to the Barca, Barca's on a serious note. He's coming the, back. Baby. Yeah. <laughs> the danger is that you you have this massive outlay for one signing that doesn't pay off. Um, it doesn't work out. So I think I definitely have faith in Ange and the sort of recruitment team now that the value of players 
doesn't really interest me like it used to. Like mm. obviously you would think, oh, Edward nine million, brilliant. But the market that we're shopping in now, if they're a good player and Ange wants them, and they are some of our best players in the team, like Katati, cost what two, not even two million. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's a nice place to be in that we have this faith in the recruitment of the of the team that I would go for the try and get a goalkeeper in that three to four million bracket as long as there's a defender, a midfielder, and maybe another winger coming in as well. I before anybody else says it, not only in this podcast but any other ones, Chris, no to Barcas getting another shot. I don't think anyone would say that. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's ludicrous. <laughs> I'll be speaking to Christian tomorrow. You know, <laughs> two candidates for player of the year next year are Barkas and Michael Johnson. <laughs> Michael Johnson will come on to him. I'll be in a jetty. Um, in fact, you know what? Jesus. <laughs> uh, I, I was going to. This is something we can discuss later, but like the idea of would you take a risk on a young, up and coming goalkeeper who's really, really highly rated that we wouldn't necessarily be able to buy, but maybe to bring on loan? Like a really, really highly rated young goalkeeper who's a good shot stopper and got the attributes, maybe at a bigger club, but they don't have that opportunity to play him. Yep. Would you do something like that, Samani, if it was a loan deal, but it was specifically this guy's going to come in and he's really going to raise the standard of the goal- goalkeeping department? Yeah, I think when it comes to loan deals like that, I mean, obviously you've always got one eye on loan to buy because if it works out, you want to, you want to take them on. I think some of the, the English academy players... I think that's maybe what you were alluding to, you know, maybe maybe not, but that's still a market. I think there's, it's potentially fruitful because talking about the value that we've got from like the Japanese market um, recently, you know, see previously with managers, you know, we would be talking here about Rogers wanting to sign Castagna for nine million quid and all going, or oh, that's what it costs for a, a fullback of that quality yeah. if you want to move to the next level. And, you know, generally speaking, our thought process has now changed because see that being able to kind of recruit and buy in players at a lower price in a market that's not been untapped, we've now we've now got that. But you can't just keep going to the same market over and over again. So I, I think something that we shouldn't forget is that academy level we've got. You know, we got Frimpong there, and he's linked with Man United and things like that. There's been a lot of players that haven't been a success, but. I think there's certainly potential there and a goalkeeper of that calibre you know I wouldn't turn my nose up at it even if it was just for a season especially if it was something that would kick the team on you know I'm not a big fan of loans just for one season because you've got a, you're in a position in the summer where you need to do something else about it again but kicking the can down the road yeah but it gives, some, you, it gives you breathing space, so you does. don't have to. We don't, unless Celtic are working on it now, which you hope they would. If if it does, if it is a situation where it gets to me, and it's like we just we don't see availability for a player that we want, and they're like, well, do you know what? There's a player at, on Southampton's books or you know Man City's books who actually really could do a job for a season. I'd be okay with that. I, I, as you say, kick, Alan always uses that phrase, "kick the can down the road," and it's right. But just might give us breathing space. So it'll be interesting to see what they do. A um, couple of questions uh, left before we kind of go into our sort of wee mini feature thing we're going to do. Um, Brian from... Uh, no, Brian uh, sent an email today. Hi! Whenever this subject is brought up, the pod's shite bag levels get near to that of Joey Barton. Uh, and it's about Celtic's next manager. 
History has shown <laughs> us if we look at how Ange goes about his business, we should all just chill. There are two main concerns. Firstly, the transfer market. Mark Lawwell and Joe uh, Dudgeon both left the City Group to go to Celtic. You expect they would have done this? Not they wouldn't have done this on a whim. You expect they would have not done this uh, on a whim. Sorry, <laughs> both have worked with Ange before, so you expect the three of them are signing off in the same hymn sheet, thus giving resilience to the scouting department if Ange leaves. Secondly, who takes over as a manager? At Yokohama, it was Kevin Muscat who took over and continued to be successful. If you look at the managerial career, he joined Ange at Yokohama after an unsuccessful, unsuccessful stint in Belgium. Looking to further Australian footballers' managers' careers out with Australia is something he has previously spoken about. That's why I believe Harry Kuehl, who was in a similar position to Muscat when he joined, will be the next Celtic manager. In interviews he's given, he talks about how long he's been a manager in the past and how things didn't work out because... Um, uh, that's rocketed my shape bag levels up to hundreds. I, I will be honest with you, Brian. Um, I, I, I just, I, I just don't see that at all. I think. <clears throat> Thank you for the question, and it's very eloquent. It's very well put. In regard to the scouting department and analytics department and all that, I think you might be right. I think that might be getting solidified in a way that we were hoping for with the the, the kind of bringing in of of Mark Lowell and, and Joe Dudgeon. Um, that's good. In regards to the next manager, you know, I think Harry Kuehl, I think he would be an easy option for the board. I think he'd... I, I just... Celtic work clearly... Uh, you know, Ange is the guy who signs off and everything and he, you know, commands respect. And they talk about the respect that he has from the players is due to his style and approach of not being around the players. Now, I'm not saying you don't have to be like that. I always think that when you're a first-team coach or you're, you know, part of the thingy, you become the player's pal in the way that Lennon kind of did. I'm not saying it doesn't work, um, you know, giving someone a promotion from within, but I think if Harry Kuehl, I I think to be the manager of Glasgow Celtic, you have to have a little bit more about you than to be sacked by a job in... Is it Barnett and Notts County? Barnett and Notts County and and just be the assistant. And and I understand your argument. I understand how you're... You're, you're, you're putting that about but uh, for me to be the manager of one of the greatest football clubs in the history of the human race you have to be have a little bit more gravitas Chris thoughts agree um, I'd, you know, be, I'd be aging if Harry Kiel got the job sorry I just have to say so would I I don't think it's going to happen um, you know I think when you've got a successful period and there's um, coaches or assistants at the club or part of that it's human nature to ponder about how they would be. See John Kennedy, see Damien Duff. Um, you know, Damien Duff, when he left the club, you know, it was like, ah, that's why we weren't successful anymore because Damien Duff left. See, to be perfectly honest, some players are born coaches, some players are born managers. It's a huge risk to do that. A guy who's had a stint in management like Harry Kuehl and it hasn't worked out for the exact reasons that you said, Chris, shouldn't not be in. They should you should not be in the kind of you know running. picture running to be the Celtic manager. I mean, Neil Lennon became the Celtic manager under similar circumstances, and he won trophies with us in the first. But, spell. He, but he got that on the basis that we were at an all-time low after Mowbray. Right, so he, like he came in and he kind of nothing to lose almost like, and he got a kind of a try run, and we went on what a twelve-match win winning. Streak. No, the only lost was the well, say the only won the Ross County semi-final. Uh, so and then he started the next season unsuc- pretty poorly, and then obviously Rangers croaked it. So, <laughs> so the point being is Lennon came in, had success under a certain set of circumstances, yeah. but 
I don't think there's anybody that would. I mean, when he came back the second time, folk were unhappy, and you know, the idea that he would come back again would right. Let's not even go there. But I suppose what I'm saying is that was that happened because of his history with the club and all that, right? That's not something that should happen again. Not exactly, because yeah. of his tenure, it's just not something that should happen again, if you ask me. There was a recent trend of certain players, you know, like Zidane and, and you know, coming up and getting managers' jobs and then even... And then winning the European Cup, you know. <laughs> three or four times. I was going to go, there's levels of it, there's a, there was a trend for it, but then you've got Andrea Pirlo, who was the manager of Juventus, and it was deliciously pish Fuck because it. Juventus are crap. So, do you know what I mean? It's something there that I'm not particularly comfortable with. It's worked in certain occasions, um, and on other occasions it's certainly not. No. Every pro- Sorry, but I'll bring you Kevin Musket, I thought he was going to recommend, by the way. Wouldn't have been very happy about that. Every single, every single opportunity, uh, opportunity, every single post at Celtic should be thrown out to everybody. It shouldn't be a case of, why do we have to look beyond? See if, uh, like... I also personally, I also think when Ange Postacoglu is leaving, you ask, "What's your recommendation?" All oh, my recommendations are cool. I ain't bother up or on, right? <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like you take the recommendation take on, but do, don't fuck it. You put it out to tenure. You try to attract the world's best coaches. You try to att- attract young, up and coming, dynamic coaches who can maybe bring you something. You also look at a market of the older coach who's done stuff. Maybe you find another Ange Postacoglu. Do you think that? When Ange Postacoglu leaves the club, that Peter Law puts his arm around him and says, "What's your recommendation?" He says, "Does Harry Kuehl take the job for five hundred quid a week?" That's what he <laughs> says, and that will dictate. Yeah, I think the point you make, and it's I'll never pass up the opportunity to stick the boot into striking senior. But even though when O'Neill that season, when O'Neill left, and the horrible way it sort of came to an end in the league anyway, it really annoyed me the fact that. It was announced that O'Neill was leaving within about four days, I think, Strachan's a new manager. It was the Scottish Cup final. I remember watching uh, watching the build-up and um, it was like, we can. they, they didn't confirm it. It's like, there's a rumour that Gordon Strachan... And, like, and I, I think it's sort of, you're limiting yourself, aren't you, as you say? Invite invita- invitations, applications, um, because you never know who you might get. So I'd like to think the point that you made about the two guys from Man City, Law and Dudgeon, is it? Yeah. You would like to think that Celtic sort of getting their ducks in a row, not only in terms of recruiting players, but having a list of up-and-coming coaches and managers for if, when um, Ange does go, that we're ready to sort of push the button on the next up-and-coming progressive manager. Uh, get, get, See, just before you go, you were talking about striking there. Right? Right. We, we should never have employed <laughs> a manager. <laughs> See, with that velocity pattern, can I have a quick word? Velocity? Fuck up. That should, that should have stopped him for getting the job. Aye. I hate, I hate him. <laughs> some, they, they should have had a board meeting and some said, hi on a second. Put that on the big screen. I'm like, no, we can't fucking, we can't employ him. Out of the door. Yeah, tit. It's a bit like <laughs> see, when, see when Roy Keane was the manager of Sunderland and he wanted to sign Robbie Savage. And he phoned him and it was the voice and he did that, what's up? <laughs> <laughs> and Keane's like, I can't fucking sign that. <laughs> That's what should have happened with Strachan. Yeah. Um, joking aside. Last 16 twice, last 16 twice. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, thanks for the question, Brian. Um, genuinely um, good stuff. Final question before we do our mini feature. Uh, Kenny, uh, and this brings us to, uh, okay. Kenny uh, sent a question via WhatsApp saying, I once replied to a hill you're prepared to die on topic on Twitter with, Mikey Johnson is better at football than a badder. And I get absolutely slaughtered for it. 
I still stand by it. Given his very good cameo for Ireland last night, is there still a future for him at Celtic if he continues to do it at international level? Cheers, Kerry. He then also puts, I know this question isn't great. I won't be the slightest bit offended if you don't use it. Just love tricky winners as opposed to frustrating young men who somehow get decent numbers. I've always had high hopes for Mikey and about um, great- International week, mate. You've made the cut. <laughs> <laughs> See just on that? Great question, Kerry. The thing that's a sort of cut and dried answer to this is, Abada's three goals against Rangers. Mikey Johnson one and one in the cup final against Rangers and missed it. That sums the two of them up for me. Uh, I really like Mikey Johnson. I think Mikey Johnson's got a lot of talent. I think he's got a lot of um, potential to to go and play at a high level. But as Barry says at the very start of this pod, and I think it's a really good point about how Celtic have went up levels. They've went up levels from last season. And last season, when he got opportunities, maybe like David Turnbull this season, he, he didn't really take them. I'm just going to say, see, talking about this last night with some friends, see the performance that Mikey Johnson had at St Mirren just before, just before Christmas. I think it was the first game after the cup final. We went to St Mirren and St Mirren had half their team out, I think. And Mikey Johnson, that's probably his worst performance in a Celtic shirt. And that's not to say that that defines his whole career, but that was a... That's all I can compare it to because I think that was one of his last performances and he was horrendous. So I would love for him to turn it around. And it, that move that he did last night was incredible uh, for Ireland where they almost scored. But almost. As you, almost is a good point. I, but as you say, we've gone up levels. And have Ange, I think Ange was asked about him, wasn't he? Maybe last Friday's. And he said, we'll give him the respect that he deserves and we'll look at it when he comes back. But I'd be very surprised if, if he can perform anywhere near to the level that the wingers in the Celtic team do. Uh, I, I think this is the whole thing, though, where, like, I, I like him, I think he's talented, but, you know, I, I think a, a cameo appearance in a f- friendly international kind of... It's against a really poor Latvia side. Um, Ireland are kind of trying to rebuild their kind of international kind of squad and stuff. They're at a kind of difficult phase just now. <sighs> You know, if Mikey Johnson, if the reports coming back from Mikey Johnson, where this guy's outrageous, and he, like for example, right? See, see, I know we don't like him, right? But see, Ferguson at Bologna or Doig uh, in uh, playing for Verona, they're both they've only been there for half a season, right? And they've both played at that level really well, and they've both been linked with moves away, and they've have big price tags on them. And I'm not saying because that's not happened with Mikey Johnson that therefore. You know, it doesn't prove anything. But what it does do is, if the reports from Portugal were this guy's outrageous, this guy's unbelievable, this guy is, then I would be maybe like, okay, well, you know, because it's a lower level of team he's at, and if he's performing supremely well there, his level goes up in it. So yeah, I think what you'd be expecting, just what you're saying there, for him to really sort of stake, for him to stake a claim to get back into this Celtic, even to get into the matchday squad. You would need him to be putting in numbers like a badass for us. So I don't think it's unfair to say that he should be over there in double figures in terms of goals and assists, but I don't think he is. You've seen the odd clip here and there, but the point that you make, no one's raving about him in Portugal, certainly to not that, to an extent that we know yeah. about. So that's maybe telling as well. He's not starting for them. He's coming off the bench most of the time. I think he got a couple of goals a cup tie, three, I think, yeah. uh, against a lower league side. Um, I mean, the thing about Johnson is, I was, I was a huge fan of him at one point, and I think it speaks volumes that both Rogers and Postacoglu 
played him. Now, Rodgers even more so, right? Postacoglu played him at the start, gave him a time. Obviously liked what he's seen of him in training, given that he, he, you know, how brutal he could be when it comes to certain footballers saying, you're not playing for us anymore. I think he, Mikey Johnson is a supremely talented footballer and I reckon you would probably see him in training and that he can probably do outrageous things with the football. You've seen what he did for Ireland and what he's capable of. But being capable of that and stepping up and being a proper football, you know, a, a consistent first-team footballer for Celtic, there's still a big gap there. And for me, I think he's a bit too old to bridge that gap. For me, he's done now at Celtic, I would yeah. say. Much the same as, as Barry's saying, you know, he'll come back and Ange isn't going to come tell him that, oh, no, he's, we'll own them out because we don't like to see him again anymore, you know. He'll take a look at him, but fundamentally, I think... A few things hampered his career. One, he never got this loan move five years ago. And two, I think he came through and then got a leg break at that point. So I think the injuries that he's had have kind of broken it up for him. Not having that loan spell, probably because of those injuries, set him back. Because at one point, he looked as if he could be a huge footballer for us. Definitely. And I think, going back to that point I made about the chance in the cup final... I often think it's a sort of sliding doors moment. If see if he puts that in the corner or scores, mm. and he's scored a winner in a cup final against Rangers, the confidence that because he seems very much a confidence player, I think a lot of psychological things with the injuries. If he'd been able to do that, I think you would have seen a different tra- trajectory. Oh, is it for me to say trajectory of his Celtic career? He's twenty four mm. next month. Yeah, yeah. You know, he's older than David Turnbull. You know, like that kind same of busy. Yeah, did, did we not actually look at this and it turned out that he was? A month or so younger. Oh, maybe he is, actually. You know, you might be right. I think Turnbull might have... Uh, let's just see. Um, but yeah, I, I think, you know... It, it doesn't really matter, but you Google away. You know. I'll just, I want, to, I want to confirm that, actually. David Turnbull is 23, and he's he's born, same birthday as my dad. 10th okay. of July, not the same year. Um, <laughs> my, dad, <Please> like. <laughs> my dad and also uh, Kevin Gillespie as well. All right. Um, happy birthday, boys, when it comes. We're turned into <laughs> Celtic during lockdown. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, so Mikey Johnson, we'll, we'll probably talk about him. I'm sure he, you know, if he could go and score a Patrick, you know, in the weekend, international. Do you know what? We'll talk about him. I don't want to, I don't want to all of a sudden be like, uh, Mikey Johnson should be starting because he, had a nice pirouette and a friendly, and I, don't, I really don't mean that disrespectfully because it was a really nice pirouette. But should be starting because he now plays for Ireland. Well, that's true as well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a quick, quick question before we move on, uh, Ian: uh, With Kyogo now close to entering the top ten for goals in a season, does the panel think he enter, can enter the top five by the end of the season? He needs ten goals to surplus, surpass, surpass Larson in 0102. So number one for goals in a season is Larson in two thousand two thousand and one with fifty three. Second is Larson in 0203 with forty four. Third is Larson in 0304 with forty one. Then it's Lee Griffiths fifteen sixteen. Wait a minute! Wait a minute! That can't be accurate. Is it the modern era? Hey, I was thinking Charlie Nicholas. Charlie Nicholas, eh? I think, I, think it's, I, think, I think it's contemporary. When I say the modern era, Nicholas played in the 80s, so that's still the modern era. Yeah, well, we're talking from a Who, who listed that? Was it you? No, it wasn't. It was Ian. Ian sent it in. Ian. I was thinking Mark Bracelin will be shouting at his Aye. listening device. Uh, uh, Jimmy McGrory. Jimmy McGrory. Uh, yeah. He scored all of his goals combined. McClure, <laughs> McClure get, um, I'm 40 sure plus get, as well. I don't know if it was 40 plus, but 
Or maybe 38 or something. I'm like pretty that. sure he was high. Right, okay. He, he, means in the con- he means in the contemporary. Since? Well, he means it since 2000. Since Henry Larson arrived at the football club. Right, yeah. since 2000, that's fine. Since 2000, right. Okay. Right. okay. Uh, clarified that. Now. Essentially, Larson's in fifth, uh, 0102 with 35. Ultimately, the question is, Kyogo's company get 26. Do you think he will score 10 goals between now and the end of the season? Yes. 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 And then he'll be in that. That's a joke. That's, that, yeah. that's a really, that's a hell of an achievement um, in your second season. So yeah. great stuff. Uh, we're going to finish on a kind of wee feature thing. Um, our, our gorgeous friend, uh, Mikhail Lustig, who I love dearly, um, talked about how this Celtic side could be uh, and should be compared to the any team uh, of the contemporary time, but specifically he mentioned the Invincibles, um, the team, uh, Brenda Rogers first season. Um, sorry, yeah, Brent Rogers first season, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he basically said, you know, I'll, I'll give you, there's some quotes here. I'm not going to read them all out, but um, they're doing so well. You can absolutely compare them with the Brent Rogers team with the way they play. When Ange came in, no one knew about him. He brought a lot of players in you hadn't heard of and you were a little unsure but that, that they would work at Celtic. But since the first day they've been playing so well, the strength of our team is the same with this one. It doesn't matter what players are in the starting 11. So I'm going to get you guys to pick a combined 11 between the Invincibles and the current team to see who gets in. Okay, so goalkeeper. Here's your goalkeeper choices. And think about them, Not now, think about not now, <laughs> but at the time. DDV. Uh, Craig Gordon, DeVries, or Hart Seacrest. Who would be your goalkeeper? Alan, we'll start. Um, Alan, sorry. Chris Armani, we'll start with yourself. Look, none of us like him, right? But <laughs> I think there's only one winner for me. Go on. Joe Hart. I think Craig Gordon and Joe Hart are the same goalkeeper. Genuinely. Say about go- penalties here. <laughs> they can't save penalties. They're both very good, instinctive shot stoppers. I think Craig Gordon's a better shot stopper than Joe Hart. I really do. I, especially at that time. Okay. But I think Gordon's got more howlers in his locker than Hart even though I think both of them have got that, and neither of them can play football. They are the same goalkeeper. Who do I dislike less? <laughs> <laughs> Joe Hart's and goals. Joe Hart then? Joe Hart. <coughs> Joe Hart, okay. In all seriousness, I think that's pretty close. That's close, I, 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 I do think... I think, at that both... time, I think at that time, Gordon was a better goalkeeper than Hart is now. Yeah, he had some big moments. I mean, he, really, he really did. did. And he, I, he made some crazy saves for us. He was... I mean, some of these... <laughs> no, he did, and I've always said that, but... So you don't, I, I was, I'm picking it genuinely. Like, see if we're being fundamentally. I, but I prefer Joe Hart. Okay, that's fine. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to actually make a point for Gordon, but why the hell would I do that? Because Joseph Hart, it is. Uh, <laughs> right. So actually, Craig. No, it's Joe Hart. It's Joe Hart. We'll do. Do you know what? We'll do four. We might even. Okay, we'll, we'll do four three three as a formation, right? Because okay. that kind of evens it out a little bit. Uh, right back, you've got. Look, and think about these players at the time and how well they performed. Um, Lustig, Gamboa uh, versus uh, Johnston, Ralston. Uh, we could put Juranovic in because he, he did play a lot of this season, but he's not here just now. So, what do you want? Do you want to include JJ or shall we. Oh, it's between JJ and um, Lustig. Lustig, eh? And because John. Sorry, no, I was just going. Lustig's, I think, wins it purely for the, not purely for that goal, but the big point sticking out in my head is the the fifth goal in the the five one game at Ibrox. One of the greatest moments of my entire life. Yeah. I'll be honest with you. Yeah, Lustig. I mean, I love Lustig, but 
Lustig. Lustig's peak was before that. Yeah, I know, yeah. but he, but he, I don't think he ever really got like uh, you were always worried about him. Yeah, and he did occasionally be caught out of position, but he never, you never get embarrassed or anything because there was a point maybe maybe <coughs> a season after that where he was creaking quite a yeah. bit in Europe. His hip injuries and all that. Yeah, he one of his biggest flaws was stopping balls coming into the box. I mean, Aye. just thinking about at Athens, the Ike Athens game where Marcus played for them. Um, <laughs> You know, Bayern Munich as well. Yeah, the, the, you know. Oh, that was a shocker. I mean, still has to be Lustig. Yeah, I think it has to be. Too much. This is this is going to be about emotion as much as it is about. Ability. That's fine. That's fine. So that's we've fine. got one one Ange one. Yeah. Okay. That's Rogers. I'll keep a I'll keep a wee thing. So one Ange and one Rogers. Okay. Um. And okay, let's go to left back. <laughs> Kieran Tierney, Izaguirre, Taylor, or Bernabe. I think the levels he reached that first first and second season under Rodgers was phenomenal. Um, Taylor's been exceptional in this um, yeah. Ange team, but I think the the performances KT was put in the Champions League. I think a Man City sort of home and away was exceptional. Um, Would you call it a the German team in the Europa League? My mind went blank. Leipzig. Leipzig. As well, he's fantastic. scored as well. Brilliant. Uh, Centre backs, um, the invincible team. Uh, gee, slim picking, by the way. This is easy. Simonovic, Boyata, Sviachenko, Turi, or O'Connell. O'Connell made seven appearances. I've not. O'Connell's, O'Connell and Welsh are the only two players I've put in. Um, they made less than 10 appearances. Because okay. there's other players who. Like Effie Ambrose made like four appearances. Simonovic, Boyata, Sviachenko, Turi, O'Connell. Starfelt, CCV, Jens, because he did. Did play a number of games. Welsh. Starfelt and CCV. Yep. No arguments there. I actually couldn't agree with you more. Starfelt and CCV. So that's two. I was thinking Alan would have gone for Bayata, wouldn't he? Aye, definitely. <laughs> God, Alan's not here this week. <laughs> Just a bit of dick. Um, in regards to central midfield, um, we've got... I think you're taking Calmac out then because he was in both. Well, I was just going to have McGregor, literally McGregor then and McGregor now. As a six or a because uh, he obviously played as an, he was a lot more energetic and he played on the left didn't he, he played on the left sometimes yeah. um, I, know, I, I, I think you should just put McGregor in to be perfectly honest and like, then it's just a choice of two and then it's a choice of two that that's makes fine. more sense okay. because, that's fine because he's going to get in anyway I think yeah. Yeah. okay so Beton Brown Liam Henderson Armstrong Rogic uh, versus Moy Turnbull O'Reilly Hitati I think you just need two. I think we've got to go Brown and Hatati. Hatati, without a doubt. I think how good Brown was in that first couple of seasons. Yeah, yeah. And then it would allow you the opportunity to play McGregor one forward as well. You're not not tempted by Tam, <sighs> I suppose. That's that's probably aye, that is the other option. You think uh, aye, the moments he gave us under it was under Rogic that he really. Came to life as a Celtic player, wasn't it? Under Rogers, sorry. I mean, see, to be perfectly honest with you, it's, it speaks volumes about how good a footballer Hitati is. That he's uh, in, uh, he's in, uh, uh, he's, he is in. He's only been here a year, uh huh. And then you've, months or whatever. you've got Scott Brown who played so many games for us and was so important, and you're kind of like, well, what about 
think you probably need to get Brown, would you? Yeah, I think so, just for... Scott Brown? Scott Brown. See the Scott Brown that played against Hapwell Bersheva? That was his finest performance. Oh, I, I incredible. Think. I thought he scored was, the goal as well, didn't he? I thought he was unreal that day. Well, that's so. fine because that's, that's the season after this, I think, isn't it? No, yeah. no. Was it not? Was that was not the first? first season? I was the qualifiers the first season? Because we beat them in... Yes, yes, we did. We yeah. And Rodgers qualified, qualified in the first season, right? Yeah, exactly. Very dynamic, very... Yeah, okay, that's what, that makes a lot of sense. I'm, I'm all for that. Um, wide players... <sighs> Um, so wide players oh, for um, a few difficult ones on this. Uh, the Invincibles: Scott Sinclair, Gary McKay, Stephen, Patrick <laughs> Roberts, and James Forrest. But it's obviously the James Forrest of this time who was pretty terrific. Uh, mm. Versus James Forrest now. Uh, <laughs> My Maeda, <laughs> Haksabanovic, Abada, and Jota. Who would you want uh, in your two wide positions? The one that's jumping out from the Rogers era is obviously Sinclair. Sinclair in that Invincible season was incredible. I think he I, wasn't after that, but that season. Aye. I, I, he sort of. <laughs> <laughs> his numbers that season in terms of goals and assists completely changed that sort of winger slash wide forward. Everyone's idea of what that meant to be because he was a star man, really, was. wasn't he? That season, I think mm. he was almost thirty goals, and he wasn't a striker. Yeah. Um, so I think based on that, and even as you say, it dropped off massively. Certainly, the third season, the second season, he was nowhere near as good. But I still think he maybe got almost twenty again from wide. Mm. So Sinclair on the left has to be Aye. okay. Uh, that's fine. That's another one for the for the Invincibles. Um, Who's on the right? You get Patrick Roberts, you get James Forrest, you get Gary McKay Steven, then you've also got, I mean, Jota can play on the right, you get a Bada, you get Haxapanovich, you get Maeda who can play on the right. Personally, I'm leaning towards Jota, but open for debate. I just want Jota on the team. Yeah. Although I think Forrest was very good that season. But it's Jota. Jota. Jota on, Jota on the right. Jota, Jota, on the right. Uh, okay, now you get a difficult one, I think. Um, this is the hardest one, right? So, uh, strikers for that season. We only really, we really only had two um, in the Invincible season, uh, Griffiths and Dembele, versus Jackamakis could be chosen, if you like. No. Um, yeah. <laughs> okay. um, so, it's Kyogo and O. Um, and, uh, realistically, Dembele versus Kyogo. Yeah. Dembele, I mean, Dembele for me. I mean, Dembele scored in the Champions League. Yep. Like, terrorised six or seven against Rangers. Terrorised them. I mean, there's part of you kind of wants. You know, obviously there's a bit of recency bias, and you're like, oh, Kyogo's been incredible recently. For me, I still think Dembele, but this might right. be a debate here if you want, Mary. No, I think we've, we've agreed mostly, but you know, you know, I think if you were to present a chance last minute say we're away in the Champions League and it's a draw and the ball falls in the six yard box to Dembele or Kyogo or even at Ibrox to seal the league officially I think you would choose Dembele mm. and I think that's what maybe cements his place I'm just the uh, administrator what would you what would you do I would choose Dembele 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 okay I think does um, Rodgers edge that then no I will I think it's a so okay, so both McGregor's in, so we'll, we'll just give both Wait of them each, a point yeah. with that. Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six. One, two, three, four, five. 
I'll read out the team. Joe Hart and goals. Mikel Lustig at right back. Starfelt and CCV is your centre-half pairing. Kieran Tierney on the left. Callum McGregor, Rio Hitati, Scott Brown with Scott Sinclair, Jota and Moussa Dembele. Um, the current team won it with six. Nice. So the six are Hart, Starfelt, CCV, uh, Jota and uh, Hitati. So that's one, two, three, four, five. And McGregor because they both get a McGregor point. And the Invincible team, Lustig, KT, Brown, uh, Sinclair and Dembele. One, two, three, four, five. Six. The only person, I suppose the only person from the Invincible team. Right, like see Sinclair, he was incredible that season. There would be competition in the left for him there, you know, even still now, you know. Yeah. It's like, and then Brown would have, you know, the only person who strongs into that team is KT, isn't it? Yeah. But aye, are the centre halves as well? Actually, I'm lying. It's six each. Aye, six each. Because of the McGregor. Because of the McGregor thing, it's actually six each. That's fair enough. Aye, oh, I'm just uh, uh, yeah, aye. six each. Uh, each, I'm, 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 yeah, I, I must have forgot to count KT, but yeah, six each. I mean, that kind of shows you exactly what how good that team was and how good this team is. It's funny because you could have, you could, you could have went either way. You could have went either way in heart, Jota, you know, Forest. You, yeah, I mean, I wanted Jota. <laughs> you could argue on form in terms of how he was that season and stuff like that. And yeah, there are certain it's, positions that you don't like. Centre half, it's not even comparable. Yeah, it uh, was so easy. Yeah. And it, we're not going to do this, but if you did a subs bench, I would imagine that it would be more from the current team than yeah, because of the squad depth. Just because of the squad depth. But yeah, that was good. Good sort of uh, we exercise in seeing how uh, comparable comparable uh, the both teams were but this has been an absolute joy yep um, the cynic has as we say podcasts every day we've got the weekend update tomorrow we also have two features one on Saturday and one on Sunday and then all week next week we'll have podcasts daily so have a look if you want to sign up and uh, if you sign up um, you can cancel at any time as well there's no kind of um, need to kind of long term sign up but uh, thecynic.co for all the information that you need uh, Chris Amani pleasure as always joy a joy. Smashing, thank you. Say great smashing super. <laughs> great smashing super. Do that didn't, do the, didn't do the regional accent. Uh, do the accent, go on. Do you want, what, Jim Bone or the one that I do that you the like? The one that you do. Both. <laughs> great smashing super, Chris. I fucking love that one. Hey, Barry Gallagher, joy. Thank you very much. I hope everyone manages to get through the international break and can't wait for Celtic to come back. So thank you for having me. Lovely stuff. From Barry Gallagher. From Christopher Somani, from myself, Christopher Gallagher, this has been The Cynic Weekly. Check out thecynic.co for lots of Celtic uh, podcasts, and we'll speak to you down the road. <laughs> <laughs>